with that being said, let's jump into things. Uh, I, I said this at the beginning, that we're in the midst of a series looking at the I am statements of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of John. These seven statements reveal both the divine nature of Jesus and his character towards us. So the first part of that, that I am formula, is intentionally reminiscent of the divine name for God, Yahweh, that we see in Scripture. It's the name that was revealed when he, God, appeared, Yahweh appeared to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. He says, I am who I am. So when Jesus says, I am, and then whatever this characteristic is, whatever this motif, he is intentionally trying to highlight that divine nature. But then he takes that formula and connects it to a motif that would have been relevant to the Jewish audience that he was in the midst of. He's the bread of life, connecting Passover with his provision. He is the light of the world, pointing to this feast of the tabernacles and his desire to bring his healing light to our darkness. This morning, we look at another descriptor of Jesus as the good shepherd, and this one is loaded. I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning as I was meditating on this, and I'm like, man, I feel so insignificant that this is such a loaded descriptor that I don't feel like I'm going to do it justice, but I'm going I'm to give it my best. This was loaded with history for the original audience. And so let's, let's look at it together. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 10 or Bible apps, whatever you're comfortable with, I'll be reading from the ESV, but feel free to use whatever tradition you like. Now, those of you that were here last week, this is going to sound very familiar because it is exactly the same text that we read last week uh, because this text, 1 through 18, John 10, 1 through 18, actually has two I am statements in it. And last week, we looked at Jesus labeling himself as the door or the gate to the sheep pen. Hopefully, you've had a chance to find the text. So follow along as I read John 10, 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. 
And the wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay, my down, my, lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Now, in case you weren't here last week, just a, a few reminders of the themes that we touched on last week. So this discourse, if you look a little farther down, I think it's verse 22, maybe 21, uh, it says that this feast was given during the, uh, or this, excuse me, this, this discourse was given during the Feast of Dedication, what is today called Hanukkah. And one of the elements of Hanukkah, as I mentioned last week, was a reflection on the leadership of the nation of Israel. And so this, in particular, adds a lot of weight to the comparisons that we see Jesus make between good shepherds, i.e. leaders, and bad shepherds, or the thieves, or hired hands, if you will. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he is bringing a lot of historical understanding to that role as it equates with leadership, right? Because the Old Testament is rife with examples where leaders, both positive and negative, are described as shepherds, leading the Hebrew people. Moses and David, for example, are called shepherds, right? David's literal vocation before he was a king, before he ascended to the throne, was that of a shepherd. You have the prophet Jeremiah lamenting the selfish nature of the wicked kings who use God's people for their own gain. I have a couple passages I want to read for you. Jeremiah 23, 1 to 2. He says, "'Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture.'" declares the Lord. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. It's Jeremiah, another prophet, Ezekiel, gives a similar report, gives specifics to the crimes of the shepherds of Israel, those who are supposed to, the kings who are supposed to be caring for the people, says Ezekiel 34, 2-4 says, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost one you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. And this is the foundation of what Jesus is speaking in. I think it gives weight to the positive reflections that he provides. Book of 1 Kings, the prophet Micaiah gives this dismal report to Ahab, king of Israel. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. What has been evident up until the time of Jesus is that the people who ought to have been ruling with compassion, with mercy, more often than not, were tools of oppression and suffering. They were not good shepherds 
for God's people. But even in the bleakness of these wicked kings, there are, there are pr- glimmers of God's promises to his people. Another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, gives this messianic pros- promise, right? something that he, he wrote back in 700, roughly 700 B.C., but foreshadow, foreshadows, kind of gives a, a street address, if you will, so that when Jesus came, we knew what he looked like, how to find him. It says, behold, this is verse 10 and 11, behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Chapter 40, I, sorry, I didn't mention that. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And we cannot look at the Old Testament picture of a divine shepherd without looking at the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 23, which tells us that the Lord is our shepherd who leads us, who guides us to green pastures, leads us to fresh waters, delicacies in the desolation of the wilderness of the Israeli landscape. He protects and comforts us, leading us on paths of righteousness. So as you can see, there is an immense amount of background context for this label of shepherd that Jesus is now applying to himself. Jesus is the good shepherd, but we, as his sheep, are not devoid of responsibilities in this metaphor. If you keep If you look at our our passage in chapter 18, verses 3 to 5, highlight that the sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. The parable describes a situation where there are a multitude of sheep, not all of whom belong specifically to Jesus. But the sheep follow the voice that they recognize. They're able to pick out the voice of the shepherd among the competing voices in the flock. This too is rooted in the historical context historical vocation of a shepherd. Because Middle Eastern shepherds had a relationship with their sheep, with their flock. Read reports where they might sing to them, talk to them. They create a bond with their sheep. The the image that came to my mind as I was researching this, reading commentaries, reading the text, was the relationship between Kristoff and Sven in Disney's Frozen. Right, you got the, the two of them huddling in this shack, you know, the, the merchant oaken. There's a, this blizzard, you know, Elsa's let her, her crazy powers go. And, and there's a sudden blizzard, and they're trying to wait it out in the shack. And what does Kristoff do? He sings a, a, a duet, I guess you can call it a duet, with his reindeer, Kristoff, you know, impersonating his words for him. There was this relationship that existed. It amplified their recognition, their familiarity with one another. You know, let's go from fiction to nonfiction, a story that came up in one of the commentaries that I thought is just a beautiful picture of this. And again, think about this through the lens. This is a metaphor. This is a true story, but think about it as a metaphor for the relationship that we have with Jesus. It says this, during the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying its taxes. The officer in command rounded up all the village animals and placed them in a large barbed wire pen. Later in the week, he was approached by a woman who begged for him to release her flock, arguing that since her husband was dead, the animals were her only source of livelihood. 
He pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and humorously quipped that it was impossible because he couldn't find her animals. She asked if, in fact, she could separate them for herself. Would he be willing to allow her to take them? And he agreed. So a soldier opened the gate, and the woman's son provided, produced a small reed flute. And he played a simple tune again and again. He's playing. As he's playing this, this tune on this flute, you would see sheep heads start to pop up amongst the multitude. And the young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by his flock of 25 sheep. Right, this is our responsibility as sheep to recognize that voice, that call of our shepherd. And so this is our first piece of application, and we'll circle back to it a little bit at the end. But are you listening to the voice of Jesus? There's a lot of noise in the world. Are you able to cut through that noise and focus, hone in on that calling of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus' discourse indicates that the sheep who know their master can kind of self-sort. They can figure out where to go based on hearing that familiar cadence or voice. Keep, Keep that in mind. We'll loop back to it later. Now, as I the second kind of theme that I want to talk about is, as I mentioned at the beginning, that this was the, se- the-, this was the season of Hanukkah, and that season was used for reflecting on good and bad leadership in the history of Israel. In this setting, Jesus is highlighting what it meant to be a good shepherd, you know, kind of the model of that. He's describing the shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for the benefit of the sheep, willing to die for the sheep. John uses that language, that phrase, laying down his life very intentionally to represent this sacrifice that is on behalf of others, not just dying needlessly. Jesus sacrificed his life for the sake of the sheep, not out of obligation, not begrudgingly, but out of a strong commitment for the ones that he loves. The shepherd, and I think it even demonstrates in our text, the shepherd leads the sheep from the front. He doesn't drive them from behind because the shepherd is the one who is on the front lines, putting him or herself in danger first before guiding the sheep. Think of the story of David. Described as a shepherd in in the text and literally was a shepherd. When he squared off against Goliath, right? You have these Hebrew soldiers. They're trembling in their boots because this giant, formidable soldier levies a challenge, single person, kind of mano-a-mano combat. David is courageous, and he offers to fight the behemoth. And when King Saul looks at David, he's like, dude, you're still wet behind the ears. This guy has been dueling for decades. You don't have a chance. And what is David's response? He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he's defied the armies of the living God. David, in his role as shepherd, was familiar with putting his life in danger to protect his sheep. That's crazy to think about, like fighting a 
bear or a lion. My, my wife had, this is totally tangential, but my wife uh, used to teach at an all-boys Catholic school up in Massachusetts when we lived there, and she had a, uh, a teacher who, um, while he was jogging, a wolf attacked him. And wouldn't you know it, he killed that wolf with his bare hands. I couldn't imagine. I'd be like, I'm, play possum, I don't know. Pretend to be dead, hope it leaves me alone. Anyways, I'm sorry. Jesus continues that while he's willing to lay his life down, no one takes it from him. This is really important, right? He is the one who has authority to lay it down. But also, as you see in the text, as he says, I have authority to take it up again. Right? One of the many places in scriptures where he foreshadows clearly not only his pending death, but his imminent resurrection. Now, before we circle back to application, so that's kind of that second theme, Jesus who's willing to extend of himself, give of himself for the sake of his sheep. I have one other element of the text that I want to unpack. In verse 16, Jesus says something a bit cryptic. He says that there are other sheep that are not of this fold, that he's tasked with bringing into the flock of God. Now, I've heard this passage used from time to time to advocate for a form of universalism, that there are these other pathways that people can be on, you know, that might lead them to God. Because God's got, God's got sheep everywhere. But I don't think that fits with the context of what we see Jesus saying here for a couple of reasons. The first is, most likely, given the historical context using, you know, we, we read scripture not, scripture not in isolation, but kind of in its totality, and so we allow scripture to interpret itself first. The most likely interpretation for what Jesus is saying is that this is a reference to Gentiles. Because Jesus was Jewish. He was part of a nation that had a very, very strong nationalistic identity. They they were God's chosen people. And there were times you see in Scripture that they they had some ethnocentrism. They would look down on others who were not Gentiles, i.e., those who, or excuse me, who were Gentiles, i.e., those who were not Jewish. See, what the Hebrew people and even the disciples of Jesus had a really difficult time understanding following his death and resurrection is the ways in which God was planning to widen the scope of who was welcomed into that kingdom. Because I'm willing to bet that a very, if any, a very, very small minority of us come from Jewish lineage. Most of us would fall under that bracket of being Gentiles. And had it not been for the kingdom of God being widened in scope, we would be a people without hope and without life. Now, the reason that I think that this is not about multiple paths leading to God is because what the text specifically says. It doesn't say that Jesus goes out and he, you know, tends this flock for a while and then comes back, but that Jesus is going to go and call to them. He is going to bring those who belong to him, those who recognize the sound of his voice, to, to, be, to follow him, to be grafted into this current flock. The end goal is not a bunch of, you know, siloed, separate flocks that are on their own path, but one flock with Christ as the head, Christ as the shepherd. These outsider sheep are not on their own independent paths. They need to acknowledge the leadership of Christ. Now, I think the take-home lesson for us in the 21st century is to consider who are the unexpected members of the flock. Because, you know, we, we as Christians have a real easy time of building our own barriers, our own kind of fences to determine who's in the flock of God and who's not. Just in the same way that no self-respecting Hebrew at that time believed that God's grace would have been, you know, extended to those Gentiles. 
Who are those on the margins of society that the in-crowd might dismiss as having the capability of being sisters or brothers of Christ? All right, let, let's take a look at our application. What are the things that God might want us to be bringing home with us this morning? I think number one is what I already touched on. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Right? There's this intimacy that exists between the shepherd and his sheep. And Jesus models that intimacy. In verse 15, he says that he makes this comparison that just as the Father knows him and he knows the Father, right, there's this bi-directional, two-way street relationship that exists. It's the same level of relationship that Jesus desires for us to have with him, that he desires for us to have with one another. Later in the Gospel of John, in, in chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his followers, those in that upper room with him as well as those that are to come. And he prays that they may be one, this is Jesus speaking, not me, of course, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that we as the sheep of God may be one. Mike and I talk about this all the time. That's one of these passages that, he, not that he gets hung up with, but it's like, where is that in the church today? That there's a unity in the midst of our diversity, but a unity of, uh, of what it means to love one another, to have relationship with one another. Because right? that knowledge, that closeness is part of what it says draws the other sheep to the flock. Do you have that intimacy with Jesus? Do you know the voice of Jesus? We're all following something. Who or what is it that you follow? Sometimes it can be difficult to hear that voice of Jesus over our own ego or identity. We don't always listen clearly to God if there's a desire to be liked. And just one example. It's probably a near infinite number. When our attention is on our acceptance by others, we can drown out that voice of God and focus instead on the, the pressure of the messages that, that is coming from our peers, if you will. Whether you're, you know, wh whether you're five years old or 15 years old or 50 years old, that, that temptation, I don't think, ever really goes away. Are you listening to voices that highlight the love and grace of God that feel like are drawing you closer in intimacy to that relationship? Or are they voices that tell you that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up because you don't have fill in the blank? Or voices of shame because you've done fill in the blank and you feel like it has disconnected you from God? Who are the leaders that you are listening to, right? We live in an age of podcasts and Spotify where Anyone can have a platform to be a teacher. Are you taking the things that you hear, whether it be through, you know, what you find in the church or what you find on the evening news, and putting it through a filter to see if it's helping you better hear the voice of Jesus? Or are they just creating more static, more noise that's hard to pick out? What is the character of their voices that you're listening to? Are they pursuing the virtues the fruits of the Spirit, or do they seem to be in it for their own benefit? Because, I mean, those, that's the descriptors that Jesus uses to highlight the difference between the good and the bad shepherds.
We've got a calling to listen to the voice of our shepherd. My last suggestion is something that Jesus didn't mention in this discourse, but he highlights in other places of the gospel, and it fits very well with this motif of Jesus being a shepherd. Over the last few weeks, I've been, I'm a big fan of, of Ren Collective, and they, within the last month or two, released a new album called Whosoever. It, it's good. I, there's some songs I really, really like on it, some songs that I'm kind of, I feel like are a little mediocre. Um, but there's this track on the album called Hallelujah Anyway. And if you, you know, follow us on Facebook, uh, you know, I've been putting, uh, for the last couple months, been putting songs to try to help, you know, reflection questions to help us reflect. I'm just trying to find connection points for us to continue meditating on these things. And this is actually the song that I put last Tuesday to, to pair with last week's message. You know, a song, it's like a fine wine, pair, pairing with the message. But there's this, so it's called Hallelujah Anyway, and there's this lyric in the chorus that goes like this. Even if my daylight never dawns, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I'll fright to bring you praise. This is what got me. Even if my dreams fall to the ground, even if I'm lost, I know I'm found. Even if my heart will somehow say hallelujah anyway. Now, when I, when I heard that line in particular of being lost, even if I'm lost, I know I'm found. I just, I, st- I started, I didn't like weep, but it was a very emotional response. You know, you know what, what I'm talking about? Tears start coming to your eyes and you're just processing this. And m- many of you know, those who know me know that I- I'm not the most emotional in- individual. I'm, I'm pretty cerebral. Um, but man, in that moment, I was just reflecting on, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel lost whether I'm unsatisfied in my current life stage, I just don't know where to go. I just feel stuck. I struggle with feeling a sense of direction, feeling of purpose. Maybe you feel kind of unmoored. You know, you're just kind of riding out the current of life. But as I was listening to the song, the Lord reminded me that while I may feel lost, I'm not alone. I've been found by my shepherd. You know, I, I just, th- this isn't in my notes, but so hopefully I don't completely butcher it, but, you know, the image that comes to mind in this is I, when I was a kid, so I have ADHD, and I'm very, I'm kind of impulsive, and so when I was a kid, you know, we might be at a store or the mall, uh, back when people went to, like, big malls, and, and, like, I'd turn around, and I would have wandered somewhere that I didn't know where I was, you know? Be like, oh, there's you know, KB Toys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down this aisle instead. And then you have this moment of panic. I don't know where I am. I don't know where my mom is. But all the while, right, my, mo- my mom knew. She knew I was impulsive. And so she, she never stopped keeping an eye on me. She would kind of let me wander. But she knew where I was. And so even in that moment where I felt lost, I was never lost. My mom, my caretaker, was there and knew where I was. I think in this discourse, Jesus doesn't make this direct connection, but there is another parable where I think he shares this sentiment perfectly. Luke chapter 15, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible tells three stories. The first is a story of a shepherd that lost sheep, which I'm going to read in a minute. The second is a story of a woman who lost a coin. And the third is about a father who lost a son. 
And all three of them get what they found back. And it's all about rejoicing and all of that. But it's just a beautiful picture of the character of God in us. Here's what it says. This is Luke 15, picking up at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Don't think it's a mistake. I I don't think it is inappropriate for us to read these two stories hand in hand because Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after the one that is lost. Now, I follow, I I subscribe to Sky Jatani's um, With God Daily, his daily devotional, um, and actually this week he highlighted this passage. And he says there's, there's there's two different ways that you can interpret this passage. And in both the ways, the shepherd acts in a way that by our kind of perspective, would be irrational. Now, the typical reading, the way that we kind of sentimentalize it, is that Jesus leaves the 99 behind, 99 sheep behind to fend for themselves, to search for that one that is lost. And, you know, this would have been a horrible business practice because in the shepherd's absence, those other 99, who knows where they would have been? They would have gotten into all kinds of struggle, trouble without that, that shepherd. And so I don't think that Jesus is meant to teach us that the, the um, you know, Jesus is sacrificing the well-being of the 99 just to go after that one. And he says, and I think he's correct in this, that a better understanding is that the shepherd leaves those 99 in the care of a trusted coworker. Right? There is someone he leaves behind, a capable partner to watch over the sheep. But what it means is that the shepherd strikes out to find that one alone. Gary Burge writes this, and I quote, Locating a lost sheep alone, the shepherd assumes considerable risk. The Judean wilderness was a hostile place known for predators, robbers, and severe terrain, rocky and irregular with deep valleys. To climb out alone is hard. To climb out with a 50-pound sheep on your back is extreme. I think this parable of Jesus highlights just how good the shepherd is to us. That even when we are lost, he never says, you know, I still got 99 good ones. I'm just going to, you know, cut my losses. But he goes and finds it at considerable risk to himself. The truth is, each one of us at some point in time in our lives, maybe even now, has been far from God, has strayed from where we ought to be. We've wandered. The prophet Isaiah, in, in that, uh, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, uses this, this same metaphor, the same anecdote. He describes us as we all like sheep have gone astray, each turning to his own way. But God, out of his deep love for us, he didn't care about the consequences, but he goes and he finds us. Even if we have wandered, even if we find ourselves far from God, not knowing how to get back home, Jesus Christ does the seemingly irresponsible thing and pursues us 
And what's beautiful about this is that when we return with him, his posture is never one of condescension. You know, you worthless sheep. How could you be so stupid to keep getting yourself into trouble? That's not what we see the shepherd doing. Upon finding us, the text says that Jesus rejoices. He calls, throws a party so that others can rejoice with him too. He is gentle. He is humble with us. He doesn't hold our past misdeeds against us. I mean, who of us is without sin? None of us. But he shows immense grace and kindness as we return to that flock of God. This morning, I want you to be comforted that you have a good shepherd, one who has demonstrated his love for each of you through his sacrifice on the cross, that he has done what no one else would do to find and reclaim that which is lost. And out of response, we're called to listen to him, to follow the voice of our shepherd who has been so committed to us. I have some reflection questions, some things to kind of have these touch points for us this week to think about. First is this, what distractions prevent you from hearing the voice of Jesus? What step or steps can you take to be in a better position to hear him? And this is one of these things that for me, uh, yeah, I I need to find things because I have so many things that, like the noise around me is so often my own own doing. I shared a couple of weeks ago, Justin uh, Early, I think his name is, uh, wrote a book called Habits of, of the Household, and it's it, very simple to remember, scripture before screens. That's one thing you could do. Again, you don't have to do it. Just saying, giving you examples. Second is this, who are the sheep of another fold? That's that uh, chapter 10, verse 16, whom God has placed in your heart to be a messenger of the good news to. I know in the text, it's Jesus who goes and sees them, but he, he invites us to join the family business in that way. But who are, those, who are the margins of society that you feel like God's put on your heart to be a messenger of the good news, or at least the margins of the church. And lastly is this, when have you felt the farthest from God? Take that passage, meditate on Luke 15, three to seven, remembering that Jesus has sought us out to return us to the family of God. So I'm gonna put this on Facebook like I do each and every week. I set myself a reminder that I'm hopefully gonna put it on the website, make a little page for that, because I know not everybody's on Facebook, so that um, if you want these reflection questions, that you you can find them there. Please join me in prayer. Lord, there is so much weight in you being the good shepherd for us. So much historical context that when you said that, that demonstrates what bad leadership has looked like and what good leadership ought to look like. And so, Lord, as we come to you today and every day, may our posture be one where we're willing and ready to listen to you. Lord, help us to... to purge certain distractions, at least ones that we can, to focus. Or maybe we need to step away from those distractions to give our, that that time that we delight in you and you delight in us. Lord, help us know that regardless of where we are, there's no path that we can go on that you are incapable of bringing us back. May we listen acutely for that sound of your voice so that you might bring us back into your fold with singing and rejoicing. 
Lord, thank you for the ways that you have called us and the ways that you have blessed us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.